0: This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 236.
1: People confuse debt and ownership, meaning I can take over payments on a house. And people go, how? Don't you have to pay off the debt in order for you to become the new owner? No, I don't. Think about it this way. If I go into a grocery store and I use a credit card and I buy a bunch of groceries, who's the owner of those groceries if I use a credit card to buy them? How do you know that? If I use somebody else's money, how am I the owner of those groceries?
0: My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson.
2: And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And I usually read a review at this point, but I didn't pull one up. So I'm just going to ask you guys, leave us an honest rating review on whatever platform it is you're listening to, and we'll give you a shout out on the show. So Ash, we have an amazing guest, one of my favorite episodes we've done recently. We have Pace Morgan in the podcast. And this was like an encyclopedia of everything subject to.
0: And we are going to have him back on and do a live workshop. So we're super excited about that, too. But uh, Pace talks about creative financing. So doing subject to deals and seller financing breaks down what the difference is between them, who is, you know, the motivated seller to actually want to do these deals with you, how to negotiate, what the steps you take to actually get these deals done.
2: He also talks about how a truck with over 300,000 miles (laughs) is what prompted his whole journey into creative finance. It was a really great story. So make sure you listen for that as well.
0: What does financial freedom mean to you?
2: more time with your family and friends, the ability to take that globe-trotting trip, or do you just want to sleep in until 10 a.m. every day with no boss to answer to?
0: Real estate is your gateway to financial freedom, but rent-ready property management software is what keeps your free time actually free.
2: From seamless online rent collection to custom applications, property marketing tools, and repair request tracking, RentReady allows your portfolio to run on autopilot.
0: The best part is you can manage all your rentals right from your cell phone.
2: And that's why Rent Ready is my favorite property management app around. I use it for all my rentals.
0: Whether you've got one or a dozen doors, rent Ready helps you streamline how you manage your rental properties to create a life you love in 2024.
2: Now, Rent Ready is already included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1.
0: Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com. And use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor to get six months of Rent Ready for $1.
3: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at DealMachine.com. bp You dream of ditching your 9-to-5 and starting your real estate
2: career, but with home prices and interest rates at an all-time high, you're not sure how you'll find a worthwhile wholesale deal or a quality rental property. Look, here's an expert secret. You don't have to rely on on-market properties to start making money in real estate. You actually can find off-market properties with homeowners who are motivated to sell right from your phone, tablet, or computer with PropStream. PropStream provides data for over 155 million properties nationwide with more than 120 search filters, including pre-foreclosures, pre-probate, and bankruptcy. It helps you quickly find motivated sellers even without MLS access. Now, PropStream offers public record data as well as an MLS sales estimate with over 99% accuracy to help you get the most accurate comps possible. You'll also get lead automation, skip tracing, and marketing tools like emails and postcards to close more deals quickly. They even have a free learning academy to help you get started. Get 50 leads free with their 7-day free trial at PropStream.com slash BP. That's w dot dot com slash BP.
0: So, once again, we are live from BPCon. We are taking every advantage and opportunity of getting to meet people in person and get them into our interview room here <laughs> that we have set up, that is actually sponsored by Pace. So, thank you very much for that. Pace, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining Hi. us on our morning talk show or evening talk show. This is show. amazing. Look at this <laughs>
1: backdrop you guys have. They made this just for you guys. No,
0: it was just for you. Uh All the uh other guests that have come in here. was nothing. It's just then they brought this all on (laughs) when you gave it. But for anybody that doesn't know you, just tell us a little bit about yourself and actually how you got started into real estate.
1: Oh, great question. So I came from a family of 12 kids. Okay, so 12 kids in my family. I'm number three, nine kids underneath me, same mom, same dad. And when I was growing up, my parents um, were in the construction like trades. I learned how to work really hard, blue collar background. And my dad could never afford the house, the size of the house that he needed to house all the kids he had, right? So he had a job as an accountant and then moonlit as a contractor. And so my whole life growing up, my parents lived in sub two houses, seller finance houses, lease option houses in order to afford those houses. So it was like my background in in real estate and creative finance. But when I got older, I became a contractor and I was open doors main contractor for like seven years. So I opened up their markets and that's how I got into construction and got into the real estate world. And one day somebody comes up to me and they go, Pace, why aren't you in real estate? I'm like, what are you talking about? I am in real estate. And they go, no, no, no. Open doors in real estate. You're a service provider. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it like hit me right in the chest. And and I knew that I had to make a deviation into doing projects and construction and stuff for myself. And so luckily I met some people at some meetups, a lady named Brittany and she says, here's how you do it. Here's how you send out postcards. Here's how you do this. And I got my first deal 10 years ago, roughly. And it was through a postcard. It was a wholesale deal. And that's how I got into real estate.
2: So we, we talk all the time, Pace, about like the power of networking and building relationships. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about this before we started recording as well. And something we tell all of our audience members is that You know, if you want to get started in real estate investing, oftentimes it's such a scary and lonely path. And the best way to get past that is by networking. And it's so funny that the person that you met at a meetup was the person that kind of changed your life trajectory because the same thing happened to me. I met a guy at a meetup. We invest mostly in like vacation rentals. And I met a guy at a meetup and it was that guy that introduced me into Airbnbs. Now we've got, you know, a portfolio across multiple states. So it's like you never know where that one connection might, might take you.
1: Yeah, it's empowering. So when you're looking at this path of real estate, you if you look at it like everybody only has one flashlight, I can only light the path in front of me so far, and so I've got to find other people with other flashlights on the same path. And so I've got to just put people on that path in front of me that have a flashlight too that light it just far enough. And you'll get far enough down your path, you'll get your first deal, your second deal, and you turn around, you look back and you go, I have never made a dollar in real estate by myself. Have you guys ever made money in real estate by yourself?
0: Actually, no.
1: So think about that. Like if you guys are at home, right? You're a rookie, you're a newbie, you're just starting in here. If you're consuming content, no matter how much content you take in or any education you take in, you have to apply that with other human beings. So you have to network. It is an absolute requirement. It's not a suggestion. It's not a great idea. It is an absolute requirement. Every single deal we've all done has had other people involved that you've had to network with in order to get those deals done. Unless you guys, have you guys ever done a deal where you're like, I didn't need anybody else? No.
0: no. Isn't that so, weird to think yeah. about? <laughs> Nobody
1: talks about it. But like two weeks ago, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never made a dollar in real estate by myself.
0: So in the beginning, when you mentioned your parents talking mm-hmm. about how they were able to purchase properties, you mentioned a couple terms like yeah. uh, subject to, can you t- talk about those different creative financing yeah. deals and explain what those are?
1: So most people look at buying a home, you gotta go through a bank, right? You go down to Chase, Bank of America, Quicken Loans, and you get a, you apply, you get a loan, and you acquire a house, right? It's based on your credit, how much cash you have, and your credentials, like how long you've been at your job, what kind of job do you have, um, your degree, those types of things are important, credit score, blah, blah, blah. My parents, no matter how good their credit score was, my dad's income during the day, was a C- he was a CPA. So he made $60,000 a year, but he had 14 people in his household. So how is my dad going to afford living in an eight-bed, five-bath house making $60,000 a year? He's not.
0: And paying for all the food, clothes, everything else. <laughs> right.
1: And so he, what my dad did, bless his heart, um, he would come home from his CPA job, and then he would run a painting company. But his painting company was all under the table, so it was non-documented cash. So a bank's not going to look at that and go, okay, you're approved for a bigger house. So what my dad did is he went directly to the owners of the properties. He goes, oh, there's an eight-bed, five-bath house or a seven-bed, four-bath house. My kids and my wife and I could live in there. And my dad would go to them and say, why don't we just work out a deal where instead of me going to the bank and applying, you become my bank. And I didn't really truly understand this until, like, later in life but i realized that creative finance like the ability to buy anything without your own cash without any credit and without credentials applies to everything even things outside of houses and it wasn't until i was like i was a contractor like i mentioned earlier that i really it really hit home with me my dad didn't teach me this stuff i just knew we lived in bigger houses than my dad could qualify for and my dad would say, say stuff like owner carry seller finance and because i was a teenager and a knucklehead I didn't take the time to learn it. And my dad also didn't utilize those strategies as an investment strategy. He only used them to get his family into a bigger house.
0: It was more survival. Survival. Yeah.
1: So when I became a contractor, um, I have this story that really hits home of what seller finance is. It's my F 150 story. Have you guys ever heard this story? It's cool. No, I don't think so. All right, great. So I have this F 150. I'm a contractor, my guys are driving the truck. The truck hits 320,000 miles. Okay, well now I've got some problems. This truck's starting to have issues. So I go, okay, well I'll take it out of my fleet and I'll throw it out on Craigslist and I'll sell this thing and I'll take that money, go buy a better truck, something with less problems. So I, where do we go when we find, want to find the value of a car?
0: A Kelley Blue Book.
1: Boom, Kelley Blue Book. So it's like Zillow for cars, right? So I go on Kelley Blue Book and the truck says it's only worth five grand. And I'm like, "Okay, well, if I sell my truck for $5,000 on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, offer up whatever, am I going to get $5,000?" Probably not. No, cuz somebody's going to come along and be like, "$3,500 all cash today," as if like I what else were you going to pay with besides cash? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, I decided not to put it up for sale for 5 grand. I put it up for sale for $10,000 cuz I'm a belligerent seller. Okay? And I go for 10 grand and I'm thinking, I don't need all the buyers. I just need one buyer that would pay 10 grand. Well, three months goes by, I don't sell the truck. So my wife comes in to me. She goes, why don't, you know how your dad used to like buy houses where he would like just get the sellers to let him make payments? Why don't you sell your truck on payments? And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so freaking genius. So I go back to Craigslist where I had the truck for sale and I changed one thing. And it was, F-150 will take payments. So did I sell that truck for 10 grand? I sold it for $12,500, and I let the buyer just make monthly payments to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did this with a truck. Why can't I do this with a house? Now, you might ask yourself the question of, well, why did, the, why did Jose, the guy who bought the truck for me, why did he pay $12,500? I also learned that the value in anything is not based on the purchase price the value, this is important for people that want to learn creative finance, the value of anything is based on what you can do with the thing you bought, okay? So we. he looked at that truck, he made me $350 payment, but he turned around and earned $7,000 a month in a painting business he used for that truck. So did he overpay for that truck? No, he didn't have to use his credit. He used a $1,000 down payment to get into a truck he couldn't otherwise qualify for, and I was like, I need to be doing this in real estate all the time. Like I can go acquire anything I want this exact way. So I call my dad and I go, is this what you've been doing is yes. Every (laughs) single house I bought. And so I go, well, what about people that have payments on their cars or on their house? He goes, Oh, you can just take over the payments. I'm like, you're joking me. I can just take over somebody's payments on their car. And he goes, yeah, go to leasetrader.com. You can take over somebody's lease right now. Like in two minutes, you want to, you want a BMW X5? You want a G-Wagon? There, You go to leasetrader.com right now and you can take over somebody's G-Wagon, just take over their payments. And I was like, you can do this with houses? And that's what subject two is. Subject two is um, a seller uh, sells their house to you by you just taking over their existing payments. You don't have to qualify. You don't have to do anything. Just take over their payments. And um, seller finance means that the seller had the house paid all the way off. And they create an agreement with you that says, hey, just make the payments to me. And I was off to the races. And we've now, just this year, we bought 600 multifamily deals with seller finance or with creative finance. And we bought about 70 single family homes all through creative finance, just this year alone.
0: That's awesome. Congratulations on cool. that. Yeah.
1: Pretty cool. When, yeah.
0: You, when you had that conversation with your dad, were you already purchasing property? You were I was doing some on? wholesale. And how did that like pivot and change for Everything. you? Everything. Yeah.
1: Because there's a KPI. If you guys don't know what the word KPI means, it's key performance indicator. The number one KPI I looked at in my business at the time as an acquisition person buying deals was cost per contract. Mm-hmm. So how much money in marketing did I have to spend in billboards, TV, radio, um, postcards, letters, SEO, PPC, whatever it was, what was my cost per contract? And if you're a wholesaler or you're somebody out there trying to fix and flip, the average cost per contract when you're spending money on advertising is about $7 to $10,000 depending on what part of the country you're in. So you go, "Okay, I want I want to go out and find my own deals direct to seller. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to have to spend 7 grand in marketing. That's daunting and scary for somebody that's brand new." Mm-hmm. But with Creative Finance, my cost is zero. And so for me when I was wholesaling, I go, oh my gosh, I can go to other people's sellers, like a real estate agent or another wholesaler and go When you have a seller that wants too much money, I'll buy it on seller finance. And when you have a seller that has no equity, I'll buy it on subject two. And it changed everything for me. And my cost per contract went to zero dollars.
2: So Pace, you talked about your motivation for selling the truck, seller finance. If I'm a new investor, can I make the assumption that the the motivation for homeowners Mm -hmm. is the same as your truck? Like what would prompt someone to want to sell their home subject to or, or a seller finance. OK,
1: so we, let's talk about su- the difference between subject two and seller finance. So mm-hmm. subject to, typically, like I'd say 80 to 90%. I haven't done the math on this, but just my gut experience. 80 to 90% of the time on a sub-two deal, the seller's in some sort of pain. They're mm-hmm. in foreclosure. They're going through a divorce. They don't have equity. A lot of times they refinance their house last year. They pulled all their equity out. Now they want to go sell. They don't have any equity. So they can't sell without cutting a check. Mm-hmm. So that's subject to. That's typically that pain. So if you guys are looking for a sub two deal, a really great place to go is expired listings. Mm. Agents, uh, what market you're in? Um, Buffalo. Buffalo, you're, in, you're doing deals in Buffalo? I thought yeah. you were, I don't know why you, I thought you were doing deals in Florida. No, no. Maybe I saw you guys on vacation in Florida. Probably. <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> like okay, there you go, that's why. <laughs> See, I follow you, and I, I thought you were doing deals in Florida. So um, expired listings are a really great way to find sub two deals. Seller finance is not pain, it's gain. The seller of a seller finance deal wants one thing and one thing alone. Now there's other benefits than this one thing, but the one thing that they care about anything else is they want to win the negotiation, which means they want the top line price to be as high as possible, Mm. okay? So like I've got a deal in San Angelo, Texas I just closed 30 days ago. It's a 43 unit deal. Seller's name is Mario. Seller finance. Seller gave me $0 down, 4% interest, and he gave me 50 year note. Crazy, right? 50 years. 50 years. I took, Eric, I took Eric, my video guy, over there, and it was just like jaw-dropping to watch me negotiate this deal. Why would Mario do that? Well, number one, the property, 43 units, is only worth $2.7 million.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I paid $3 million. Did I overpay for the property? I think most people go, yeah, you overpaid for the property. But I go, I didn't put any money down. It cash flows on day one. I have zero cost of capital. Why would Mario do that? Well, he got... $3 million on paper. I'm, he's charging me interest 4%. He avoided going through an agent, so he didn't have to pay um, 6% to agents. He didn't have to pay the closing costs. No appraisal. When you guys are in commercial, the commercial world, like multifamily, appraisals are expensive. Surveys are expensive. We avoided all of that stuff. So if you compare him getting $3 million and at 4%, he'll end up getting about $6 million over the term of the loan. Mm-hmm. But where do those payments go? They go to his children. So when he passes away, he doesn't need the $3 million. He's like, I, I'm, I'm worth $100 million. I don't need the, the $3 million right now. So the biggest reason is sales price. The second biggest reason is that it mitigates their tax liability. Mm-hmm. So imagine if Mario, who bought that property for a million 20 years ago, sells it to me for $3 million 20 years later, how much in taxes is he gonna have to pay? Massive, he has a $2 million gain, right? So he's got a big influx of cash that comes into his bank account, now he's got hundreds of thousands of dollars of tax. But if we spread that out over 30, 40 years, what he can now do is every year he can offset the money he receives with other tax write offs. So essentially being zero zero tax liability on that deal.
2: When Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Bookstore. So sign up for a one dollar per month trial at Shopify.com slash bp rookie. All lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com/slash bp rookie now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash bp rookie.
0: Okay, so now that everybody listening knows that they yeah, yeah. know the advantages, they mm-hmm. know what they are for the seller. What happens when you're actually negotiating with the seller? You're face-to-face with them? Do you do it on the phone? Like, what's your typical setting? And then how do you actually convince them, or pitch this, or here, get here, on some key points, I guess? I love
1: tips? that. So here's the great thing about creative finance. It's easier than cash, by far. Mm-hmm. People think, oh, I'm going to start with wholesale, or I'm going to start with fixing and flipping, and I'm going to start with Burr. Guys, no, no offense to any of those. I do all of them. They're all great. They all work incredibly well. But in order for me to do a wholesale deal, I've got to offer 60 cents on the dollar, 50 cents on the dollar. In creative finance, I can pay 80, 90 cents on the dollar and make actually more money than the person who paid 50 cents on the dollar. The greatest part about it is that creative finance is the only thing that is, a, it's not a zero sum game, which means the seller makes more money, it doesn't take money out of my pocket. In a cash transaction, I have to lowball a seller in order for me to make money on my flip or in order for me to have a good refinance on a bur in creative finance there's no banks needed no credit needed so i can pay the seller more on paper and when i'm talking to a seller i go well, they go well why would i do that and go why honestly why would you pay why would you let somebody pay 60 cents on the dollar why wouldn't you let me pay 90 cents on the dollar on, of what it's worth it's what would you rather do go into an appointment and pay 90 cents on the dollar or 50 cents on the dollar 50 cents Really? No, I mean like in or in terms of like as a salesperson.
0: Yeah. As a salesperson. As a salesperson.
1: No, no. As let's say that you're a wholesaler. Okay. OK. OK. And your job is to go in and get a contract with the seller directly. Right. Okay. There's no agent. You're not yeah. the agent. Yeah. You're just a, you're just acquiring the deal. You have to convince that whole, that homeowner to sell their property to you for 50 cents on the dollar to be a wholesaler. But in creative finance, I can sell, tell them to sell it to me at $0.90. So cents.
0: OK, so yeah, so they're going
1: to be they're making more willing way, to make way more. Way more. The second so, they see how much more money they're making, it's like, why would they ever sell on cash? So, uh,
0: OK, to clear it up is you're saying that you're able to make the numbers work at $0.90 cents on the dollar, and that's the advantage.
1: Yeah, all day okay, long. OK. So, like, for example, if I go out. And if I did that same deal with Mario, mm-hmm. and I had to buy it cash, I would have had to given given him like 2.4, 2.5 million dollars to make it work. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I would have had to do qualify for a loan, and then go raise 700 thousand dollars from partners or investors, and give that 700 thousand dollars worth of ownership to those investors. So now I'm into that deal with a higher interest rate. I had to pull my credit, had to raise money, give up ownership, and the seller actually got less money.
0: Okay, so let's let's break that down even more. How are you figuring out what that purchase price is? So are you working backwards then? We're
1: always working backwards. So, okay. so the number one thing I always ask, so when a seller's, I go, what are you looking for? Mario says, I want $3 million. I go, great. If I was able to come up to $3 million, could you give me terms? Mm-hmm. Mario says, sure, I'll give you terms. What are you thinking? And I go, well, here's the problem, Mario. Most of my deals I buy are $0 down, 0% interest. So I doubt you want to do a deal with me. He goes, I'll do zero dollars down, but I will not do zero percent interest. I go, okay, well, what are you thinking? This is all recorded, by the way. I record most of my appointments. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll do four percent, I go, okay, great. Do you want a balloon? He goes, no, if I, do, if I do a balloon, I still have the same tax problem. I'd rather just let you make payments to my kids even after I'm passed away, my kids keep bearing the interest. It's a great investment. So that's how, That literally, was like a four-minute conversation. So pace,
2: are you are you specifically looking for? You talked about failed listings as one way. Yep. You talked about talking with with wholesalers or agents that you know the sellers are maybe asking for too much, but say I don't have a relationship with an agent. Say I don't yep. have a relationship with a wholesaler. I'm brand new. Yeah. Am I just going on the MLS looking for listings that say? seller financing or creative financing? Like, what other ways can I? You
1: could do that. So you could go on the MLS. If you are an agent, you could go on the MLS. Like, if you go on landwatch.com, have you guys ever heard of Landwatch? No. It's so gangster. It's a great website. Mm. If you go to Landwatch, Landwatch has 11,400 seller finance listings right now on their website. 11,000. That's nationwide. If you go on your MLS, you'll average, depending on the market, you'll average about 100 seller finance listings per 1 million population. Mm. So there's a lot of seller finance stuff out there. But let's say that I'm brand new, I don't know any of that. Where, what list do I go pull? I would go to listsource.com um, or wherever you guys, if you guys are using PropStream, they're a big sponsor of this event. Foreclosures, huge. Uh, right now, this is what I love doing too. And you guys should have me back. I'll call foreclosures with you guys. We'll do it. Like Tell them in the comments. <laughs> tell them whatever. I, w- I will call foreclosures live. So foreclosure list is the easiest. We get a deal in 15 minutes. Hands down, easy, done. Foreclosure is really good, expired listings is really good, people are going through divorce, people are going through bankruptcy, typically that's sub two deal. Mm-hmm. Seller finance is high, a high equity list, so you can literally pull a list on list source that says people have their house paid off. Um, or you can see people that have owned a property for over 10 years, that typically is a really great seller finance opportunity too.
2: So once I, once I find someone pays and I'm like okay, this person's a, a good uh, candidate for seller finance or sub two, mm-hmm. How do I structure that in a legal sense so that they don't just like run away with the property or like try and kick me out after I've moved in?
1: Well, he who has the deed is the one that controls the property, right? So it's set up the same paperwork that you go to. If you go to Bank of America and you get a loan from them, it's literally the same paperwork. So it's no different than anything else. Um, Same paperwork, same documents, same ownership goes to you. It's not some like under the table weird thing. The deed comes in your name. There's no Nobody can change anything about that, right? So think about this too. This is something that confuses a lot of people. People confuse debt and ownership, meaning I can take over payments on a house, and people go, how? Don't you have to pay off the debt in order for you to become the new owner? No, I don't. Think about it this way. If I go into a grocery store and I use a credit card and I buy a bunch of groceries, who's the owner of those groceries if I use a credit card to buy them? How do you know that? If I use somebody else's money, how am I the owner of those groceries?
0: You
1: take them home. Okay, so great, I love that. So two reasons why. One, I have the ownership physically, right? But couldn't somebody just come up and steal those from me? They could, but the second thing I have is I have a receipt and proof of purchase. Okay, so in real estate, the receipt of real estate is called the deed. Whoever holds the receipt is the owner of those groceries. whoever holds the deed is the person who holds, holds that property. So think about this. I go to the grocery store, I buy groceries with an American Express, and I'm walking out into the parking lot and I walk up to you and I go, Hey, I see you got those groceries. What'd you pay for them? You go, 200 bucks. I go, I'll pay the, I'll pay you 225 for those. And you go, okay, I'll make 25 bucks like that. Yeah. And I go, but one caveat, I'll just pay your credit card payment for you. I just subject to your grocery bill. Okay. So the credit card payment and the ownership are not the same. And so... People don't understand that I can just go and transfer a deed 25,000 times in two days, but the debt just stays in one place. The American Express bill stays in the same place. Nothing alters, nothing changes. Nobody does anything to it. It's just whoever is currently holding the deed makes the payment to the mortgage, right? So a subject two deal is the seller's name stays on the mortgage. Your name stays on the deed. You're the owner. Nobody can ch- take the deed from you without a legal transfer.
0: I actually did one subject to deal, and it was actually before I even learned who you were. And we had had a guest on the podcast who had kind of taught us a little bit about it, but I wish I would have found you because it would have made the process a lot smoother. It took, I think, like over a year to actually close on the property just because my attorney wasn't familiar with it and get everything, all the ducks in a row. But as I, I did it, I... It was a farm, so there was like lots of pieces moving with it, and dealing with this farmer, he didn't really know a lot, and it was uh, answering his questions. So, like some of the common questions that he mm-hmm. had and I had. Um, for so the first one is, how do we know that the mortgage isn't going to be called because of the change? Okay, so she's, the talking about, she's talking about she's talking about the
1: due on sale clause. So the due-on-sale clause happens about one out of every 5,000 sub-two transfers. So it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you do a lot of sub-two deals, you will run into a, a due-on-sale clause. There's very typical reasons why the due-on-sale clause gets called. Number one, improper paperwork up front. You used the wrong paperwork. Number two, you didn't transfer the insurance properly. And number three, you're a knucklehead and you stop making the payment. Those are the only three reasons you'll ever get the due-on-sale the due clause, clause called. Okay, then when a due on sale clause gets called, which it does happen, it's happened to me five times, you need to know how to handle it. Okay, so why did the due on sale clause get called? It's because you transferred the the farmer, me, I transferred the ownership, the receipt of my farm over to you, I gave it to you. And the bank sees that we transferred ownership and they go, hold on, you just took ownership of this farm, but there's a loan in that farmer's name still, you need to pay that off. Okay, legally, you don't have to pay it off. The bank has the right to call it due, not the obligation, but they have the right to say, hey, we want, we want Ashley to pay that now. So how do you handle it when you run into it? How do you handle the due on sale clause? How do you g- get rid of it? So easy. OK. So this- I don't know I don't the know answer, yeah, do yeah, no, you? OK. So the way you get out, rid of the due on sale clause is, one, make sure you did your paperwork up front, mm-hmm. right? Two, make sure you did your insurance properly. And three, make sure you make your payment. But if it does still get called, which is very incredibly rare, what do you do? The deed is what triggered the due on sale clause, right? So what do we have to do?
0: Transfer the deed back.
1: Transfer the deed back to the farmer and repurchase it on a lease option where your option price is the mortgage balance the day of your execution.
3: Hmm.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So it's technically, it's still a sub two deal but you haven't transferred the lease or you haven't transferred the deed.
0: So my second question. I got that
1: that from a bank, by the way. So I'll tell you how this happened. (laughs) So I had a property on Lost Dutchman Trail. The seller was in foreclosure, Mm -hmm. okay? and we reinstate the foreclosure. He was behind like $20,000. But we reinstate the foreclosure the day before we transfer the deed. And why is that a problem? Well, because the bank that had the loan, they're a small bank, Johnston Bank. Shout out, Johnston Bank. They only had five branches. So the president of the branch, all the branches was the person actually handling the, handling the foreclosures. So we reinstate the loan, we close the deal the next day, and the following Monday, he goes to his stack of manila folders and he goes, oh, Lost Dutchman is now no longer in foreclosure. So he goes to reinstate it. It's just a slow process for them. They did it a couple of days after we had already closed on it. And he goes to reinstate the loan and he sees that we'd transfer the ownership. So he physically, manually saw, nobody's calling due on sale clause unless it's like a situation like that. So he, they send out a letter, letter. We get the letter two, three weeks later. I call the guy myself, the branch owner, and I go, dude, We caught up the mortgage payments. Why are you calling the due due on sale clause? We're making the payments. He goes, oh, it's just bank policy. I go, okay, well, and he sounded like nonchalant, like he ran into this 100 times. I go, okay, well, what do you suggest I do? Because I bought this subject too, and I caught up the payments. He goes, oh, yeah, easy. All you do is just deed it back to them and then rebuy it on a lease option, and the option price is the mortgage balance the day you execute the option. I was like, done, thanks, have a good day. (laughs) Pretty simple. Yeah, that is. Okay, so that's one of five ways to uh, overcome the due-on-sale clause we can talk about another day. Okay. But that one's really simple.
0: So follow PACE if you want to learn more about that. Yeah, but
1: if you want to get nitty-gritty, this is not rookie stuff. But the reason, why don't I just originally buy on a lease option with the option price being the mortgage balance? Because you want the deed. I want the deed because when I have the deed, I get the tax benefits, Mm -hmm. and the tax benefits allow me to not pay any taxes Mm -hmm. every year.
0: So my second question for that would be on the seller side: is okay, uh-huh. the mortgage is still in their name. How do they go and get another mortgage? So DTI, is,
1: DTI coverage, right?
0: This is actually how I found you because this was the last piece of the puzzle, like the last question I needed. And, Love this. Okay, how so
1: how does any investor go and get another loan when we go get loan multiple loans on? When you guys are going and getting Airbnbs and you're investing, how do you get more loans? You have to show that there's income on the other properties. There you go. So it's the same thing. So when I get a seller, so I had one of my favorite deals I ever did. Dave Bajarski, okay, so here's what happens. Dave Bajarski, driving home one day, he gets a a wild hair, and he's driving home one day from work, and he sees a new home development across the street from his development where he's lived for 19 years. And he turns in there, he goes in, gets suckered into a $20,000 non-refundable deposit on a brand new build, drives back over to his house, And his wife's like, hey, sweetheart, where you been? I haven't seen you. You're usually home on time. He goes, babe, I just bought us a brand new house. And she goes, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Can we turn this one into a rental or something? And he he goes, no, the lender over at the new home build said, we have to sell this house in order to qualify for the new house. Mm -hmm. We can't have two houses. Mm -hmm. She goes, okay, no problem. Let me call my friend who's a real estate agent and let's have them list the property. It'll sell in two months, and that house will be done in six months. It'll be perfect. We'll rent for a couple months. It'll be perfect timing. You following me? Mm-hmm. Okay. So five and a half months later, they still haven't sold the house.
0: And it's coming time to close on that new house. Yeah,
1: they got, it's coming they got time two to close. Weeks. They're going to they're gonna lose their $20,000 non-refundable, and they're going to sell that house to another person. The agent on that listing calls me up and goes, Pace, I saw that you do this creative finance stuff. What do we do? Wait,
2: And have had you ever met this agent before? Did you have a relationship with I saw with her at him? a meetup.
1: Mm. And I was like, hey, if you ever have a... Power of networking. Yeah. Their power of networking. So I go up to people I go, hey, if you ever have a seller has a hard time selling their listing because they have lack of equity, come to me. The seller had lived in the property 19 years. Why doesn't he have equity? Because he refinanced. Mm. Pulled out all his equity out of the deal. Okay. So he has no equity. Now you're telling a homeowner that just put $20,000 on a new home build that he's going to have to write a check to sell this house. Mm -hmm. Is that the only money he's going to have to pay to close out on that house? Mm-hmm. No, he's got an, uh, the rest of his down payment. Right. He's got furniture. Because everybody, mm-hmm. when you get a new house, you're pumped about your furniture, right? Yeah. He's like, I got a barbecue thing. I got all the stuff I want to do. And now she's telling me I got to cut a check to sell my other one. I go, well, what if you didn't have to write a check? What if you just walked from the property let me take over the, the deed? He goes, no, I can't do that. And I go, why not, Dave? It solves every problem in the book. Mm-hmm. And he goes, because my lender on the new house says that I have to sell this house in order to qualify. go, no, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I was a loan officer for years. Let me call her and talk to her underwriter. So I got on the phone with the underwriter. I've done this 400 times, by the way. Get on the phone with the underwriter, not the loan officer. If you're talking to a loan officer, they don't know, they're salespeople. I was a loan officer, we're salespeople. Talk to the underwriter. So you talk to the underwriter and you say, hey, underwriter, I'm buying this house subject to, I'm gonna be making the payments what do you need to see from me in order to wipe this off their debt-to-income ratio to qualify for the other one? She goes, Oh, he never told me he was going to do that. No problem. So we write up a we write up our agreement. Um, by the way, you should always use a servicing company when you do sub-two and seller finance stuff. West Star is the company. Can you define servicing company so a servicing company is let's say that you and I create a financial arrangement. And we wanna make sure there's a non-interested third party like watching what we're doing, making sure you're receiving it, I'm paying it on time. We would hire her as a servicing company to make sure. So there's companies like West Star Loan Servicing that um, they pay, you pay them $17 a month per house, wow. and they are the sheriff of every creative finance deal you'll ever do, mm. okay? So I worked this out with Dave, and Dave goes, holy crap, you solved every single problem in the book for me. I thought I was gonna be in a world of hurt. So debt to income ratio needs to be wiped out by the underwriter on the deal.
2: So Pace, I mean, first, dude, thank you so much, man. This has been like a, a, a crash course on everything subject to.
1: Oh yeah, I, I could talk about this for 20 hours.
2: So, I mean, l- last question for you, brother. So I just wanna know, so given where we're at uh, with the economy, with inflation, with, you know, there's a lot of people feeling that the sky is falling. Now is a terrible time to invest in real estate. Does subject to still make sense in this environment?
1: My average deal I'm acquiring is 3.25%. My average BRRRR deal that I do is about 75 to 8.5%. So I, don't, I honestly don't know a market where Subject to hasn't made sense, will not make sense. Subject to is and will always be a strategy that will dominate. Right now, it is winning big time. I'm being overwhelmed where people are like, oh my gosh, our listings went from 10 days on market to now 70 days on market. Please, whatever you got to do. So here's a really good example for like brand new people. Um I will randomly do this once a month or I'll go in my local market in Arizona I go anybody in Arizona come to my office today we're going to go um we're going to do a group activity for 7 hours today where I'm going to teach you guys what creative finance is and then we're going to do a contest at the end of the day for 45 minutes and we're going to get everybody on the phone and we're going to see how fast we can get a deal. So we just did this 2 weeks ago. First um where you go as you go um Listings have been on the market for longer than 90 days. Call the agent. Say, hey, agent, if you're having a hard time with that listing, I'm okay just taking over the payments. Would you pitch that to your seller? So in 45 minutes, a group of 100 people got six written contracts signed back from the agents done in 45 minutes. This market is incredibly easy. You'll be pouring in with properties.
0: So when they're doing that, mm-hmm. are you guys looking up on PropStream or any other software? That's where with, we like, got the list, yeah. what, the, the pay, what the estimated payment is Yeah, so you'll have
1: balance. the estimated, yeah. estimated mortgage. Here's how you know when you said structure, right? Last thing, guys, so sorry. Have them have me come back because <laughs> I will come back and I'll talk forever. Here's how we know if it's a good deal, okay? I don't care about purchase price. People send me stuff like, Pace, I got a four bed, three bath with three car. I'm like, I don't care about any of that. What can I bring in on the property? What's the highest and best value of that that amount? Same thing like I go to AirDNA. If it's going to be an Airbnb, if it's a sober living facility, I call a sober living company. And I find out what I could bring in on that property, and then I reverse engineer with the seller. And I go, OK, if I can bring in three grand a month, the most I can pay the seller is $2,000 a month because I've got blah, 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 expenses and whatever else. So you reverse engineer. And a lot of that information before we get to the negotiating part of the conversation, a lot of it we find on PropStream. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's such a, a are you finding that too with the seller finding their motivation to or like what they want out of the deal so like if they purchase price is important to them um, or interest rate like they just know they want a high interest rate but maybe you amortize it over 50 years or things like that are you sellers typically? Variables?
1: Se- sellers typically don't want a high interest rate unless they're already a creative finance guy like me, Mm. when somebody goes, yeah, I'll seller finance it to you. I want 20% down and 8% interest. I know he's already, he's probably already taken my course Mm. or whatever, or he's Mm -hmm. been in the game for 20 years. But if they go, oh yeah, what does that mean? I go, great. You care about purchase price. It's kind of like a teeter totter. I'll give you a high purchase price, but you got to give me low down payment, low interest. And they go, okay, no problem. They care about the, the purchase price more than anything else. Interesting. I li- We've literally barely touched the surface of this. We could go on for I know. Hours. I feel like yeah.
0: I'm going to be laying in bed tonight like, just like, like there's questions. so many more yeah. questions.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. The thing is, like, I can't go out and get a cash deal. I could get a cash deal pretty quickly, but I could guarantee you if you guys had me back, I could show you how we could get a deal under contract within an hour on the rookie show, start to finish, agent selling us, sending us a contract signed. Like, it's that simple.
0: Yeah, we should definitely do that.
1: Well, guys, less information, yeah. more <laughs> implementation. We will I would love to implement some of this stuff and do it like live if you guys would have me back.
0: I think that's like part of our the problem with the show is that we get a lot of stories and what people are doing and stuff just But freaking like, do it. The step by step, like doing a workshop. Like that would be so fun. I would
1: love to. That's what I I just you get and I know you guys are the same way. You start talking about these strategies, you're like, Okay, great, let's go. Let's go buy <laughs> let's go buy something. <laughs> So um, if you guys have me back, I'd love to do that. It doesn't have to be in person, but if we, even if we do it virtual, it'd be great. We could do the same thing.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, um, one question I do have, because I think this would be for everyone that's listening. Where are you getting the proper steps and, like, the proper documentation? So, like, my when I bought the farm, mm-hmm. it was my attorney had no idea where to even start with documentation.
1: So I went and paid... Um, uh, an attorney in my local state named Sean St. Clair. I have an attorney. actually brought him here to be Con. I had him <laughs> oh, yeah? on my panel. Cool. My attorney, who I learned from for years and years, is actually was on my panel today. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just go to an attorney that's been doing creative finance and I had them draft documents and then I, great, the documents were great, but really you need somebody when you run into a s- specific situation, especially mm-hmm. with a farm, there's all sorts of weird things going on with farms. Yeah. You need to have somebody that knows what they're doing and the way I found these people was networking at meetups. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's cool. The, the answer is basically just asking what their experience is, if they have experience. Yeah, in have you ever closed a sub two deal? Yeah.
1: We have a list actually, because we. Uh, my job or my goal years ago with Creative Finance is I said, my overall goal is I want to normalize the conversation around Creative Finance. That's my goal. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I accomplish that, I could die. I'd be happy. I want to normalize the conversation. One thing that we've done is we've found um, five title companies or title uh, attorneys in every single state across the country and we've put them on a google sheet so if you guys want i'll give that to you guys you can give it to your your uh, audience
0: yeah we would love that so we'll put that into the show notes there's right
1: not right, a yet. single state in the country you can't do sub to seller finance novation agreements wraps lisa like you can do anything in all 50 states it is so not just legal has been getting done for hundreds of years
0: well, thank you so much, Pace. This has been Have really me awesome. Back. Yeah. And also, thank you for sponsoring uh, this media room. We've been really taking advantage of it. This is our third podcast we've oh, done good, today in here. Good. So, thank good. you. Yeah. But where can everyone find out more information about you?
1: Go to Bigger Pockets episode, whatever I was on. It was the first one I was on in November of <laughs> 2021. Was... We'll
0: also link that number in the show notes. There you. you go. Go watch that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J Robinson on Instagram. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will be back on Wednesday with another episode. Still